Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you with information that empowers you to make better financial decisions in your life. One decision I'm glad you've made is to listen to or watch our podcast. If you like what you're hearing, I hope you'll take the time to subscribe and review us when you get a chance. In this episode, there was recently a ruling that got a wave of media coverage about real estate agents. I want to tell you what this is ultimately going to mean potentially for your and my wallet. Also, There's new data on how terribly, hideously, awful the banks are treating you on your savings. I mean, my goodness. One of the giant monster mega banks still paying one one hundredth of one percent when others are paying five plus percent. Disgusting. We're going to talk it through. Don't sit on your hands here. It's your money. You worked hard for it. And we're going to talk about that later. So there was an earthquake that hit the real estate industry in the United States. I had mentioned months ago, maybe even last year, there were these lawsuits working their way through the federal court system against real estate agents and realtors and various real estate agencies engaged in alleged price fixing. Now, a jury that heard one of these cases found the realtors liable for price fixing, awarded a little less than $2 billion. The judge will have the option of tripling that to nearly $6 billion. And that's not even the worst part for the real estate community. The worst part is that the judge may issue new rules that invalidate all the various methods that real estate agencies engage in what now I can't call allegedly illegal practices, illegal practices, and do various things together, collude together to push up the commissions that we have to pay. Just so you know, in the rest of the developed world, technology has completely changed commissions in what people pay in residential real estate, both as a buyer and as a seller. And the United States, because of the various allegations of collusion, we're an outlier where commissions in the United States have come down some, but are still far, far higher than they are most anywhere else in the world. And remember, for most people, the home you have is the largest asset you'll ever have I think about how in the stock trading industry, there used to be fixed price commissions. And then when the marketplace opened up as a result of a number of lawsuits, we went from commissions on an individual stock trade 
that in today's dollars could be thousands of dollars just to do one stock trade to now stock trades are essentially free. And it happened because of the free market. And real estate agents saw what happened to travel agents who, as technology came along, travel agents who had been longtime partners since the 1800s with travel providers, they became a direct target where travel providers wanted to get rid of them, and most of them went away. And so real estate agencies and trade associations and stuff were like, no, we're not going to let this happen to us. That's why through various collusion activities and price fixing, real estate commissions are by world standards and with modern technology, ridiculously high. Having said all that, real estate agents are not going away. No more than travel agents went away. The nature of the travel agency business changed. The nature of the real estate agency business will change. And this is going to be a gradual process. It's not going to happen all at once. It reminds me of the stuff with the hearing aids, where I've talked for years and years and years, I mean, for like 25 years, about how because of price fixing, we had the world's highest prices on hearing aids. And then I talked about, you know, now the market's changing and people are like, well, where are all those cheap prices? It's a slope down. It's not a collapse down. And the prices of hearing aids are steadily getting lower and lower, quality better and better. With real estate agents, the change is not going to be like, bam, it's not going to happen all at once. It's going to be a steady, gradual process. And let me tell you, the real estate agency community is going to keep fighting. They're going to try to get Congress to permit an exemption of price-fixing laws and collusion and try to use persuasion on Capitol Hill to allow them to be a special protected class with price fixing and collusion allowed. I doubt that will happen, but they're going to fight, fight, fight. They're going to appeal all the court rulings and all that. But eventually, the technology cannot be bottled up and the options cannot be prevented. But real estate agents remain essential and very important. The numbers that will be will be reduced, but it's going to be very key because when people sell their own home or they're buying their own home, emotion gets the best of them. And you need a knowledgeable, experienced agent to shepherd through the process. The commissions will be completely different and they, in many cases, will be lower, but in others, they might be higher, but the marketplace will decide that. And the role for experienced, good agents who are really good with people will remain strong for many years to come. It's just the cartel will eventually be broken. And that's good for America. That's good for the American people. I do want to go back to you're talking about hearing aids for a second. What? All I could think of was (laughs) your sweet late mom, when she was having some trouble hearing, she was always your guinea pig for any new saving strategies you had. I remember like you had her on like an email system for seniors at one point that we were trying out and uh, the first jitterbug phone. And when she couldn't hear well, what did you do? I went and bought illegal hearing aids for her, unlicensed hearing aids for her. Bought her hearing hunter's aids, which were a workaround that got around the hearing aid cartel in the United States. So I probably fell flat on my face with most of those things. 
but my mom was like a one person living laboratory. It was she like was. we were running our own micro consumer reports. And she was a great sport about mom. it. Yeah, she was such yeah. a great sport. Okay, we'll go to questions now. Andrew in Indiana. I have an Indiana 529 for my child and they received a full scholarship with room and board. The scholarship reward is greater than the money saved. I want to withdraw the money to assist my child. What's the best option after withdrawing? Also, Indiana offers an automatic tax credit on saved money. I'm thinking about continuing to deposit money into the account to obtain the tax credit only to withdraw the money later. What are your thoughts? So, Andrew, I don't know how much you have in this 529. I don't know how much you're intending to increase it to. But there's a new legal provision Congress passed a while back, I guess a couple of years ago, goes into effect January 1. And it allows you, with a child's 529, once it's been in there 15 years or longer, to let it grow tax-free for the 15 years, and then tax-free you migrate it into a Roth IRA for your child. This is the greatest thing ever. Because one of the problems with 529 is people were afraid to get a lot of money in it. Their kid got a scholarship, didn't go to college, whatever. And now you've got this escape hatch that eliminates tax penalties or taxes where the money can migrate without a hiccup into a Roth IRA. So don't put more than 35000 in. If you have already, then we got more problems to discuss. You're not subject to the 10% penalty on whatever would be in excess of the 35 grand because of the scholarships. So it's not like there weren't eligible college expenses. It was just they didn't have to be paid. But whatever gains the Indiana 529 has had over the years, you would owe ordinary income tax on it, but you would not owe penalty, the 10% penalty. Now, you can move the money to another person as the beneficiary. So if there are other family members you might want to use the money for for college, that's also a tax-free event. Stephen in Florida says, I'm recently divorced and live alone. I'm concerned with the passwords to all my accounts after I die. Is there an easy way to leave my passwords on file somewhere that will be safe and most of all undiscoverable until after I pass? (sighs) This one's hard. We talk about this Mm -hmm. various times. There is no fail-safe. There was an organization we used to talk about at one time that was like a digital storage thing for people till the time they passed away, and then the designated individuals would be given access. And that organization, I forget what the name of it was. I don't remember. It obviously wasn't very memorable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, They didn't get a lot of sign-ups, and they went extinct. And we heard from people who thought, oh, what a great idea they signed up for. And then they said, by the way, that thing you talked about, it's gone. So this one is not the easiest. One thing we've recommended in the past is Google Inactive Account Manager that's free, where you are able to designate an individual, Stephen, who is a trusted individual. And at the time you do pass away, Google, after a period of time of no action in your account, will turn it over to the person or persons you've designated. And then through the Google account, you're able to then 
start maneuvering in other accounts, but you may have another suggestion. I, mean, I saw you look a couple of simple things. Like I would say you could do a thumb drive if you wanted and you could leave it behind with your will. Um, and that someone could have access that way and you just update it yearly. So you have it on, you know, with your will. Um, that's also, why you're Krista. You're a no, genius. I mean, I don't know if that's genius, but <laughs> I would also say you can password protect like Excel files and stuff. And I haven't done that before, but I know you can do it. And maybe you share uh, a password protected file with the person you would want to take it over, but you don't give them the password. It's in your will, maybe something like that too. It's kind of low tech. But this is an issue for a lot of people. And in your case, you're divorced. A lot of times in a couple, one has not shared that kind of information with the other and they unexpectedly pass away and nobody knows how to get in the accounts. Yep. And so that's something my wife and I update every 90 days, things like that. We update our financial accounts with each other, passwords, usernames, all that with each other. Shanique in Texas says, I'm trying to maximize my elections for my HSA. I've maxed out my contributions at 3650 and I'm wondering if I'm doing it correctly. I'm totally lost on how HSAs work. A lot of people feeling that way right now with re-enrollment. I hear this all the time. There was a report I just saw that ran the numbers and roughly 75% of workers who have access to a high deductible HSA eligible health plan and then in turn an HSA would be better off with the HSA. It's, it's a minority of people, 25% even less than 25% probably, who are better off in a traditional health plan with a lower deductible. It's, it's crazy that so few people sign up for HSA eligible plans and they are overwhelmingly the best choice for most situations. First of all, the HSA limits for 24 are going to be 4150 for a single individual, 8300 for a family, and if you're over 55, those are each $1,000 higher. So you can put a meaningful amount of money into an HSA account. So an HSA account is a pre-tax account that grows tax-free and then is spent tax-free. It's better than the 401k your employer offers. It's better than the Roth IRA I love. It is the best wealth builder and financial security builder that's available under the law today, but it confuses the daylights out of people. In fact, only a tiny percent of people handle HSA money correctly. What's correctly? In almost all cases, that money should be invested, not put in some penny ante savings account. You want to invest your HSA with my favorite children, with one of the ultra low cost companies and you invest in, you can do straight out index funds. And the goal is not to use that money for the deductible expenses you have on medical care, but to let it grow through the decades. And then you use it much later in life. And here's one of the crazy things about HSAs that like, I bet not even a hundredth of 1% of people who have an HSA know. So you can save your receipts of things you've had to pay for out of pocket for medical care to meet your deductibles. And much later in life, after that money has grown tax-free over decades, compounded over and over again, you can then get reimbursed for expenses from many decades before just by keeping your records. They are a sweet, sweet deal 
Here's the hard part with HSAs. HSAs work best for people who have very little medical expenses and then people who have a lot of medical expenses. It's kind of like that 25% of people who are kind of in the mushy middle that they may be better off with a traditional health plan rather than a high deductible HSA eligible plan. Coming up ahead, I want to talk about so many Americans leaving other money on the table. I mean, you know, friends don't let friends put savings in a giant monster mega bank. And I've got new data that friends don't let friends put any money into savings or CDs at a bank. Wow, they're ripping us off. I mean, crazy numbers I'm going to share with you straight ahead. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm never going to be honored by any banker as person of the year, let me tell you, because I'm always on a slow burn about the banks, because banks are not putting the public interest first. This comes up repeatedly, and we bailed out the banks again and again. It is the worst possible thing, private gain, public loss, is we've had to do these bailouts of the banks. Basically, nobody ever went to prison for all the banking scandals 16 years ago that that really became known 16 years ago. And even Wells Fargo, the criminal enterprise impersonating a bank, virtually no one has ever been prosecuted for any of the repeated criminal acts that have happened at Wells Fargo. And they keep saying, hey, we're not going to be bad anymore. And then another thing erupts with them. I mean, I'm on slow burn about this. It's absolutely true. And then I read this in the Wall Street Journal. Okay, this is really something. So Chase Bank, according to Wall Street Journal research, is still paying one one hundredth of a percent on their savings accounts. I want you to think about that. You can go online today without breaking a sweat. You can earn five plus percent on your savings. Five plus percent. And Chase is paying one one hundredth of one percent. Wells Fargo paying 0.15%. So they're paying 15 times nothing, basically. And the average bank, the average bank is paying less than one half a percent, just ripping off their customers left and right and center, just ripping you off. And we're letting them do it with trillions of dollars that people are putting in savings or CDs with these stinking banks who are happy to raise the interest rates on all their loans, happy to charge 22% average interest rate on a credit card, but instead are going to pay you basically nothing on your savings. At the same time, on the same day the Wall Street Journal story appeared, there was a story in USA Today where they surveyed what were you making If you put money in CDs that are FDIC insured through my three favorite children, Fidelity Investments, Charles Schwab, and Vanguard, what are you earning by comparison? 
I'm so glad you asked. The rates you're earning, depending on the length of CD, is from five and three quarters percent to a low of 5.45%. So let's review that. The average bank, if you walk in their front door, is paying you 0.45%. On the other hand, you go through the wholesale side of the bank, through one of the three giant discount brokers, and instead of earning 0.45, you're earning a minimum of 5.45%. Come on! So many of us have some business we do at some point in our lives with one of these three big discount brokers or discount houses. Vanguard, the world's second largest money manager. Fidelity Investments, gigantic. Schwab, gigantic. I mean, think about it. It's funny because with Schwab, if you have a regular account with Schwab, an investment account, they're paying you on your cash sitting in your account the same as the banks, 0.45. But at the same time, you can, through them, buy a CD that will pay you over 5% for any term length you're looking at. I mean, this is easy stuff. Interest rates are really at or near the top. It's possible the Federal Reserve might do another bump up a little bit, but we're pretty much done. And then what will happen is the economy slows. If I'm right, the economy is going to slow in 24. The interest rates will start going the other way. So this is a really good time to treat yourself as an early Christmas gift, lock in some money that you don't need right away in CDs, where you can earn five plus percent for whatever length term you're pretty much interested in. And if you go to the website of any of these three, whichever one or ones you do business with, Vanguard, Schwab, or Fidelity, and just put in the box CDs. And it's not going to be an old compact disc playing Purple Rain or something. It's going to be you taking your money and putting it to work for you. How'd you like that, Prince? I liked it, yeah. And Krista, I've totally neglected to mention that you're back. I mean, first you were away with family, then we were off on the Thanksgiving holiday week and welcome back. Yeah. I want to thank Nicole for filling in for me. Cause yeah, we had a, my dad had a health event. And so it was really great for me to be able to be with him and my mom and witness a lot of what people go through in the healthcare system. So. I think you could write a book from those two weeks. Yeah. Well, but it wouldn't be a happy story. It wouldn't. Well, the happy story is he's on a great road to recovery. So very, very happy about that. All right, we'll go to some questions now. Chi in Georgia says, what is the safest and fastest way to renew my U.S. passport without compromising my personal information and identity? So this is a confusing answer I'm about to give you. The State Department has been experimenting with something they open-close, 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 where you can now do a digital renewal of your passport. You don't have to worry about mailing in your old one. You don't have to worry about all your documents going in the mail and getting lost or whatever, going through hand after hand. The new digital process is in pilot. And if you can get in the digital renewal pilot, and if you you go to state.gov and you go to passport renewal, and I guess I tried this before and it did work. I don't know if it's still working. You can say digital renewal. And see if it is open, because that is the safest, 
most streamlined, most secure way to renew a passport because they already have everything on you. It's so funny that they make you send in all that stuff that could be an identity theft issue if it was intercepted. Because otherwise, what you're left with is you do have to use the postal service or an alternative address. You can use UPS or FedEx to deliver your packet to the U.S. passport office. And I renewed a passport not that long ago through the mail, and it went pretty well. My wife and my son both had to renew, went fine with them, but I'm just excited about when this goes from a pilot to the regular way you renew your passport to go into the 21st century and have full digital renewal. And you would never send by regular mail. I would no, think, no, I you are doing you that. send by you get the alternate address you send with UPS or FedEx or if you do it at the postal service pay for tracking and tracing mm-hmm. of the sending of it and it'll only come back with the postal service but pay for the delivery with the postal service where it's express or whatever they call it mm-hmm. I think you pay 17 extra dollars pay for that so that it is in one of those secure envelopes and is tracked all the way. Byron in Kentucky says, Apple made Apple Pay more dangerous for your real wallet this year by adding a pay later option, which is a pay in for service. Apple released the option to a limited number of users in March, but now it's available to everyone. I recently started noticing that it showed up on every transaction, even my $1.90 bagel. Wait a minute. You're able to get your bagel for $1.90 and mine is $2.75 with butter? But you could also pay it in four. That's <laughs> so crazy. You can disable it in the settings app on your iPhone. Thank you for that tip because you wouldn't want to mistakenly sign up for pay in four on your iPhone and... Why Apple thinks this is a good idea is beyond me. Paying for has been so harmful to people, and I wish Apple didn't jump on that bandwagon. Alias. Alias says, this is my alias. (laughs) (laughs) In Utah, says, I started Uber and Lyft driving for extra money. What are the financial and legal risks in the event I'm involved in a minor or major accident while a rider is with me? FYI, I have significant investments in my 401k savings and Roth IRA, and I own a home and rental real estate. What should I do to avoid the risks and continue to make this extra money? Alias, uh, <laughs> your coverage from Uber and Lyft is capped at $1 million. Your own auto insurer, you have to disclose to them that you're driving part-time for Uber or Lyft. You can buy excess liability coverage from them that is known as an umbrella policy. You sound like you have enough assets. You should do that. It's a success tax. Umbrella policies that sit on top of the other liability coverage you have are sold in multiples of a million, and they get cheaper by the million. So the first million might be $250, $250 a year, and then goes down from there, whatever it starts at. You have a direct clear liability risk here, especially if you have not purchased a rider or whatever your auto insurer requires for you to be driving for Uber or Lyft. Again, they're only going to pay the first million. And there may be somebody listening or watching saying, only the first million? You have no idea if somebody's badly injured in an accident 
and you're the liable party, how much, how many zeros and what that first digit may be. And so you're thinking the right way about this alias, either stop driving for them or bulk up on proper insurance to drive for Uber and Lyft. I remember when I was doing it undercover on TV Mm -hmm. and my brother, the retired lawyer was like, you can't do that. So he was worried about the liability risk to me if something went mm-hmm. wrong. So yeah. I just drove two days for Uber and Lyft. <laughs> I actually loved it. It was really fun. If I could, if it could fit in my schedule, I'd love to you'd keep be, doing it. You'd be the best person because you just talk to everyone. It would be awesome. You'd tell them how to save money. No, it was funny because sometimes you'd pick people up. And they were like, you were part of the machine. Like you were just another part of the car. Mm-hmm. And they didn't look at you. They didn't acknowledge you. You were just a robot driving them. And other people really enjoyed and appreciated conversation. You had to, as anybody in a public facing job, you've got to read the room. You got to know what the customer is like and serve that customer where they want to be. Awesome. But it's not bad to just be polite to people and say thank you and remember to tip those Uber and yes, Lyft drivers. for sure. So it's time for today's Clarky of the Day, Krista. What do we so have? So today's Clarky of the Day is actually a travel story I realized I'd never played, so oh. I thought I would play this one. Hi, Krista. I'm a little bit late because I'm behind on my podcast, but I can also give you my travel story, and mine also includes Ryanair. I got there, my husband and I were traveling with the Rick Steves backpacks that are soft. And so when I got in there, at first, I could not get my bag in the little box that Ryanair makes you put your bag in. So I went in the bag, and I went over to the side of the line, and I moved some things around, and I literally jumped up and down on my back (laughs) several times to try to get it flatter. People are still kind of looking at me really funny, and that didn't work. So I had to take out a couple of pairs of Chaco, which are very heavy flip-flops, and some other things. And I was wearing one of those travel vests that you can put lots of things into. And I stuffed all of that stuff into my travel vest. And then I did the same thing again. I stood in there. I jumped up and down on it. Finally, it fit into the into the little carrier box. But I got the same experience that Clark did. People were looking at me like I was a nut. Well, I know I am a nut, but I love your story. And Ryanair is the largest airline in Europe. Gosh, they keep growing like they are. They're going to be the world's largest airline someday. And they're an acquired taste, but they're very dependable generally. And I love flying them. But I love flying everybody. And by the way, if you have a Clarky you'd like to share, call 404 981 2071. That's 404 981 2071. And share your story with your fellow listener. And then you're a member of the Clarkies. That's right. So I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I hope your Thanksgiving was absolutely great. And for those of you who know what life's really about, that your NFL team won <laughs> this weekend. No, I know football is my life, but it's not life. I know that, but I hope that your time with family and friends and whatever travel you did was wonderful and great. 
We're just weeks from Christmas. I hope that you have a great Christmas season. We're going to talk a lot about that over the next couple of weeks, right? That's right. So have a great day. Remember what we're about, that you learn ways to save more, spend less, and avoid getting ripped off.